Welcome among the released. Welcome to an episode which I plan to call the new normal. The new normal. The buzzword that's being thrown around everywhere right now, apparently. With Joe Winter. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you for reaching out, sending me yeah, an no email. Problem. I keep telling that to people, but they don't seem to realize the bar to be on the show is quite low. That, that, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything about the quality of my guests. Just welcoming, inviting. Exactly. We love to see it. Could you introduce yourself uh, briefly? Yeah. So um, I'm Joe Winter at WinterMute on Twitter. I do game design things and tweet memes a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, so I recently released a couple of things on Itch, working on another one at the moment. And yeah. Again, you emailed me because you said, hey, I'm a designer in London. Could I be on, on an episode? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. You're my <laughs> yeah, first. Yeah. And then it turned lockdown. out you lived in a place that is a very lovely park. Well, not you don't live in the park. <laughs> but we are in a very nice park. <laughs> we can say it. We are in Burgess Park. I don't know. Maybe I will regret that someday. Maybe someone someone's going to find where you live. Stalk I, th- me. I think that's vague enough. Oh, where are you of the show? I think I first saw you. It was way back at the start of lockdown when you had um, Grant Howitt on the show. And I follow him on Twitter. And I'm quite a big fan. I've been playing um, Heart, the thing that he's just about to send out, actually. Yeah, so I tuned into that. And I thought it was a really good show. So I've sort of listened to some of the back episodes since then. And yeah, it's a casual chat about RPGs, which I think a lot of RPG podcasts are like, there's a lot of actual play, obviously, but there's not many kind of talking about them as a hobby that I found at least so much. So I'm very excited because on my way here, I found out that I made my way into a game. I went into the waiting list for a game and I'm finally going to play Spire. Oh, I see. I've been looking at Spire. A friend of mine was talking about running a game, but she's based in the Philippines. So time zone issues make it a bit of a nightmare to work out, but I'm hoping to play that soon. It looks very good. There seems to be a decently big scene in the Philippines in terms of TTRPG things. There's a game jam I'm working on at the moment that's run by... I can't remember their name now. This is awful. But it's um for a game that can fit on a bookmark, which sounds very cool. Yesterday, I interviewed Pam from The Dove Tailor, and she's part... It's not a formal thing, but hashtag RPGC, with S-E-A, which stands for Southeast Asia. And so we had a whole interview about the community in the Philippines, and that looks extremely exciting. Uh, yeah, what, what's yeah there's, there's a lot of developing cool stuff over going there. On. The traditional question of the main show, the Rollist podcast, not Cafe Rollist, is how would you explain, describe what is a tabletop role-playing game to someone who has absolutely no clue of what it is? I feel like a really cop-out answer is it's like Dungeons and Dragons, and that feels really bad to say, but like, <laughs> it's, well, no, cause like, it, it's so much more than Dungeons and Dragons, right? But as a cultural touchstone, it's... Imagine someone who doesn't even know the okay. Dungeons and right? They haven't seen the first scene of E.T., they haven't seen Community, they haven't seen <sighs> Stranger Things. They have absolutely no clue what it is. It's about gathering around a table with some friends and just making up a story as you go along, I'd say. Sometimes there are dice, but they don't necessarily have to be. And it's about kind of shared storytelling and definitely an improvisation element. I guess there's sort of a, a dichotomy, isn't there? Because there's, there's a lot of games that are very heavy mechanical, like almost wargaming type stuff. And then kind of, especially nowadays, there's a lot more narrative focused things. But yeah, I'd say, you know, getting together with some friends, rolling some dice around a table and telling a story together. When, how, what was your very first encounter with the hobby? Uh, so... So the first time I played a tabletop game, I think, would have been Dungeons & Dragons in sick form, so what, like six, seven years ago now? 
So was it fifth edition already? Then? Yeah, fifth edition. Um, it was, I think, shortly after it had come out, actually. I had just moved to a new school and the group of friends I ended up falling in with um, had just started a game and so they invited me to come along. And pretty quickly I got probably far too into it and started, you know, planning my own things and DMing and it just sort of escalated from there. I guess I'd been sort of aware of the scene vaguely beforehand from um, Will Wheaton's tabletop on um, Deacon Sundry. A lot of people mention Will Wheaton's tabletop. I think he did a, a good job raising awareness about the hobby. Yeah, I think... It was a show that was kind of fairly high profile, good production value on YouTube in the years when I kind of started to be a lot more online. And so, you know, I came across it and I was sort of like board game scene adjacent before kind of I got into tabletop and everything. Like I had a group of friends that we did like regular risk games with and they had um, King of Tokyo, which was still good fun, actually. But yeah, sort of. And then through that, I found kind of wider stuff. Card games as well. I was big into Yu-Gi-Oh! like way back in primary school. And so that led to Magic the Gathering. And then that's kind of, yeah, D&D adjacent as well now, I guess, with Wizards of the Coast. So You were brought in via the tabletop and YouTube way yeah, into, yeah. into the hobby. Yeah. And I guess also like just general like nerd interests. Like I've always enjoyed like fantasy and sci-fi novels, that kind of thing. Genre films. So it was sort of a natural progression, I guess, of going from kind of consuming those stories to telling them myself. Where were you when you had this first game? It was with school friends? Uh, yeah, or? so I'm back. Uh, so I'm, I'm from Bournemouth and I was back down there actually for a, uh, a decent chunk of lockdown. But um, they had like an attic room that had a TV and loads of beanbags and stuff. So we, yeah, yeah, it was really good. A little bit cramped with, I think we had six people in there, like, no, seven, a party of seven at one point. So your teenagers back then? Uh... Yeah, teenagers. First year of sick form. So I was 16, 17. Yeah. When I was 17, as the, the song goes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember the, your character, your expectation, I, the adventure you went through? Um, and the, oh, well, it went. Oh, my boy. first character was a chaotic, stupid tiefling rogue who died in the first session. <laughs> um, I was looking, so they, they had already played a few sessions and, um, I think they were level four. So I, I, I was level boosted up to that level. So I immediately got to choose a subclass and I really liked the look of the spell thief. And so, of course, when at the end of the session we were presented with a beholder telling us we could take one item from this chest filled with magical artifacts, um, my character got greedy and ended up being eyes zapped to death oh, fairly rapidly. Like one I shot, think it or... was maybe two hits, but the, the party, I think because my character was new at that point, they were like, oh, we'll cut our losses, you can make a new character. <laughs> Which I think, honestly, my character deserved. They were a kind of pretty big scumbag. To be fair. So you so, were not too shocked or disappointed by no, this turn of event? I, um, I think I sort of knew what I was getting into tangling because e everyone was clearly quite scared and like sort of through references to D and pop culture, I sort of vaguely knew what a beholder was. Like, I think there's a future armor episode with one in. So, um, from that, I sort of, you know, I had the gist of that this thing might be able to do some damage, but my hubris was too great. <laughs> You were not turned off by that. No, if anything, it made me want to um want to design my own thing myself because like what we played was a fairly simple adventure. We were helping out a local lord and just sent into a dungeon, but kind of just from that I saw like how much potential both D and D system but also just kind of tabletop as a hobby, genre. Genre's not really the right word. Yeah, as as a hobby had and I kind of immediately I was thinking about all the different sort of stories you could tell. So I just sort of went from there. Never really stopped, I guess. 
on the show and outside the show. Like yesterday on Twitter, I go in big moan slash friends regarding how desperate I am of the number of D&D fans who, who don't engage with other games. How, how did you move to other games? I think that was through university, actually. When I joined uni, I joined a society called Sci-Fi and Fantasy at UCL. And they did kind of freshers RPG events where a lot of their regular GMs would run sessions in a lot of different systems. And I ended up being roped into a game of Fiasco because I had been too awkward to kind of raise my hand for any of the other games and ended up sort of being left right till the end. And so I played the game of Fiasco, and that game is just a bit very zany, a lot of improv, and I sort of ended up being... An NPC that, I, it's a DMless game, but the, um, person who was running the session ended up sort of recruiting me to play supporting characters. And I had really gone fun with that. So I offered to DM in a later similar event. And then from there, I just ended up being roped into all sorts of stuff. Dread. Oh, what's the friend computer? It's paranoia. Paranoia. Yeah. Stuff like that. Ten candles. Nice. All sorts. I yeah. I yeah, need yeah. to try ten candles. Yeah. I think when I, when I, um, first played it, I'm not entirely sure the DM had read the rules entirely. So, like, having looked through the rules since, the game we played, I don't know if it was strictly <laughs> Ten Candles, but it was a very enjoyable experience. And obviously, the physical element of having the candles in front of you and burning slips of paper is very, just very satisfying. It's got a, a nice haptic element to it. On a weird pyromaniac level, I do just quite enjoy the smell of smoke, so that, you know, added plus. <laughs> that would definitely have appealed to a teenager myself. Uh, <laughs> at Christmas, I was the one always uh, playing with the candles. Uh, yeah, the and um, oh, Italian restaurants, when they have the big candles in wine bottles and the melted wax, that's oh, another one for me. You, just... you, you dig with your thumb, and uh, then you, you got the, <laughs> what do you call that? Yeah. Uh, I a don't... drip. Of, uh, Is there, there must be a, like a word for that the specific formations that makes. Oh, like, yeah, candle filio. Yeah. <laughs> if there isn't a word, there should be. I think we should coin that. I don't remember what it was, but recently I found out there was a word for specifically the fear of having discomfort from a visual with a number of eyes or Num a, num oh, or a um, number of holes Oh, I, it's trypophobia. Yes. Yeah, I hate like... it so much. <laughs> it's, yeah, so I was um doing some research on body horror for a one-shot I was writing at one point. And while doing some kind of, I guess, background reading for that, I found out about this thing called trypophobia, and I didn't know I had it until I found out what it was, I guess. It's such a niche, like, it's not something you see day to day. I guess, like, kind of wasps' nests are the closest, wasps' nests are the closest thing that I've seen that are that sort of formation in real life. But yeah, there's yeah, just something unnerving about it. Pomegranate slice. Yeah, or... yeah. I guess it's, um, there's a lawnmower passing by. Uh... <laughs> That's the seed, but the seed itself comes within a sort of... Oh, a like an bulb. apricot. Um, um. It's like a large bulb, and when you slice it, it's just these shapes of... That's a <laughs> very interesting topic to, to go into. <laughs> Fiasco is quite fascinating. I only played it once. It was with Jane Hermiston. It was at No More Damsels. Great event uh, here in London. I hope they'll have oh, more. Oh, I think I remember seeing something on Kickstarter that, I think, at one point. Yeah, they had a Kickstarter, and, and we played, it was in the 80s. Jane made it so that it was sexism on the workplace focus. Ah, and okay. I sort of play a character inspired by the producer in Glow. Oh, yes. The young yeah. one uh, with his Oh, suit. the young one. I was going to say, not, not the, um, I can't remember his name. The one who's constantly smoking a cigar. Not Mark Maron. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the young one with, with the, the white suit. And it, it, we were advertising a company and we had launched a campaign of encouraging women to burn their bra. 
And one big thing we would do, it, it's really distasteful. Uh, yeah, no, what, it, what's going to follow? It's, it's appropriate tone for the 80s, sadly. <laughs> so, but the, the boss was, was a, a woman and, and a character was a woman too, or the boss of the police agency. But we had set up a uh, sort of flash event, uh, which went on a flash, which was have an astronaut burn her bra during the, the, the takeoff. Of a shuttle, that of a space doesn't shuttle. seem like a good idea. <laughs> and, and 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 the idea evolved. Uh, I'm sorry, it's very distasteful. Uh, it happened that she was one of the astronauts on the Challenger, a space shuttle, and the uh, the story, as fiasco <laughs> goes, was with my character finding out about what happened on the news and and running through Miami, yelling shit, 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 fuck, fuck, <laughs> having to tell his boss that uh, yeah, their plans didn't go um, as uh, as they planned. <laughs> I should really watch the rest of Glow, actually. I think I got to season two, and then I can't remember why I stopped watching. Is there was... two or three seasons? I... The last season I saw, they were in Vegas. I had the one in Vegas when I had stopped watching, so... I think there's a whole season know. which starts in Vegas. and uh, Possibly there are three seasons, then. Yeah, there must be three. Good show, though. Wrestling is a whole thing that I I guess only have discovered since I'm doing RPGs as well like one of the people from sci-fi the, the um the uni club was big into wrestling and like I've kind of known people previously in my life who were like really into it but they seem to be into it like believing it was real which is very much not the appeal of wrestling for me it's the sort of it's the showmanship of it all that I find really enjoyable, how it's almost a soap opera. Role-playing's got an interesting relationship, which is just not obvious, yeah. with wrestling, because it's sort of an improvisation, but then it's codified, and there's a, a narrative. And there's, like, sort of character archetypes with the heel, and, yeah. There are a few uh, tabletop role-playing games which uh, attempt or take on I'm the saying, subjects there's, of there's wrestling. There's one called World Wrestling Co., I think, which I haven't tried, but I've been eyeing up for a while, and have been meaning to play I know it's got like the moves have like movement mechanics and I think you've got like a square grid so kind of depending on what moves you do you end up throwing people into ropes or doing different things. I'm fairly sure it's called Wild Wrestling Co. There's a French one called Luchadores. <gasps> oh, that and sounds it's, cool. You play wrestlers but more they're wrestlers but they're also superheroes as a bit Ooh. like I guess the more Mexican side yeah, of yeah, it yeah, is yeah, that yeah. they're also personas in real life heroic and so on and you live in, in an island where there's fantastical things happening and you fend them off with your, your wrestling really cool. moves and the mayor of the island is a wrestler as well that sounds a little bit like guacamole almost yeah <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there would be uh, English or the games uh, in that too yeah yeah uh, guacamole is a metroidvania type thing which I again I still need to finish. I have this really bad habit of um really enjoying like a piece of media, whether it be a TV show, a game, and like playing it solidly for like five hours and then like playing a lot in one session and then going away and never picking it back up, even though I had a really good time with it. I don't know what it is. Maybe just a short attention span on my part.
So, but back to you and tabletop yes. role-playing games. So, at some point, not only you made a jump to play other games at Dungeons & Dragons, but you also decided to become a designer. So, yes. how, why did that happen? Um, It's sort of been incidental in a weird way. From DMing, I got into homebrewing, and I feel like it's just the natural progression of that in going from working within a system to, to wanting to kind of, you know, create elements of your own system. And maybe having stories and narratives that you would like to kind of play out that you haven't been able to find a system for. For all I know, there are systems that are doing things similar to the games I've been putting out. There are a lot of systems. Yeah, nowadays. I would say there's a new, um, something I kickstarted a little while back. I think our Queen Crumbles or the Queen Crumbles. I can't remember. That does a lot of things similar to what I ended up doing in my first game by the looks of it. In terms of world building through flashbacks and sort of people discovering a shared past so that's The Fall of Home. Yes, yeah, The Fall of Home, which is very inspired by, if people have played Night in the Woods, that kind of thing, as well as 
there's elements of Bastion, the Supergiant Games um, action RPG in there, in terms of how kind of reconstructing a past through broken pieces of the present. It's a GMless game where a group of players return to the place, not necessarily where they grew up, but the place they considered their home at some point in their life, something that was really a place that was really integral to their upbringing or them as a person in some way, and finding it's been mysteriously, almost like metaphysically destroyed by strange forces and finding kind of small pieces that remind them of their time in the town and kind of flashbacks to that. And it's about, it's like shared town building in a way as well, in how you can introduce an element of the setting and then once you've introduced something, other people can then riff off of it and add kind of like furnish it with smaller details to really kind of flesh the place out and make it feel like a place that real people lived in. What was your your process? Did you have an idea for the concept and then develop the rules around it? They had a, an idea like, we could do this with rules that would be neat. What would fit this sort of mechanics? Or did that take yeah. shape? So it started with the idea that I knew I wanted it to be... I, I had kind of the idea of oh, returning to the place that you grew up in. The name Fall of Home is also sort of taken from a song by a band I really like, Los Campesinos, The Fall of Home. And a lot of the lyrics in that song kind of speak to the tone of the game, I think. I thought the pun was your own as uh, The no, Fall of Rome. No, I'm, I'm nowhere near as clever as that, unfortunately. But I do, you know, I, I credit that, obviously, in the PDF. But and it's a great song. I highly recommend people check it out. But so I started off knowing I wanted it to be about sort of... A football has just rolled towards us. Should we kick that back? <laughs> I kicked it in a, the worst way possible while holding my microphone <laughs> in a way which really sent the message. I consider kids are full of germs <laughs> close to me. Yeah. Um, where, where was I? Um, so you are not as smart as the band who sadly wrote not. the full of home. No. Um, but yeah, so I knew I wanted it to be about sort of returning it and like picking up the pieces in a way. And I knew I wanted it to be collaborative, so I sort of hit upon the idea of, well, you can spend a resource to start a scene about a flashback, and there's a sort of a, a goal you have to meet, and I didn't really know the nature of that goal at the time. But in order to meet that goal, based on the finite number of resources you have to start these scenes, if people don't collaborate, then they're not going to reach that goal. And so I had it so that someone starts a scene, and the scene is focused around like a, a place or an object or even a specific sensation, and then from them kind of telling the party about their relationship to that others can then join in and say oh yeah so like when while i was here i i experienced this too but maybe i experienced it in a very different way or maybe we moved in similar circles and like maybe we met each other while we lived in this town but didn't know and kind of there's a lot of space to explore how different people can have different relationships to the same thing i don't know if i said that very well i think it's all right <laughs> I find it so fascinating how tabletop role-playing games are wide-ranging. Yeah. And, and, and what you describe is a game in which you really engage with the emotional. It's very introspective and uh, at the same time trying to engage with ideas or feelings other people might have in their life. It's a long way away from hitting monsters with swords or even investigating a Lovecraftian thing going on it. Definitely. I think I really probably jumped in at the deep end <laughs> in terms of trying to create a nuanced emotional experience in the first thing I've ever designed. <laughs> so when you designed it, you wrote it, you put it on Itch.io, or did you write it, play test it, write um, it again? So and I, so on? I wrote it, I place tested it a few times with a few different groups, mostly friends who I made through uni and their friends and finding, you know, different groups to do stuff with. And I've got like a couple of friends who have kind of toyed with designing stuff in their time. One of them, Luke. I don't know if you know the game Twilight Struggle. 
Uh, it's a board game, right? Yes, it's a board game. It's a Cold War board game. Very complex. There's a very like heavy meta game, from what I can tell. I haven't really played it. I tried it once, and the rules were a bit much. The sort of game which seems very interesting and very deep, but then you need to be available and yeah. committed. Yeah. Because it's going to take you a few games before you get it. But at the same time, the sort of game I miss. Maybe not the sort of game, but the sort of relationship to a game. Like, my wife went back at playing a bit of poker recently. You know, you know a game so well, and it's got so many intricacies. Not because it's complex, but the way it's run, that you start to be able to read what is going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think um a lot of card games, especially Netrunner, has a big aspect of that as well for me. I've gotten back into that actually during lockdown as well he plays with i think of just a dedicated group of like one or two other people and they have strong rivalries playing different sides and that kind of thing but he's been working on a fan-made expansion of that for a long time now so he was one of the people i got on board because his um kind of grasp of mechanics and story and means play between the two is really good at the same time it doesn't seem very similar like you control the soviet yeah. union versus the u.s and you're like you go back to a place of uh, deep emotion in your past. He has a good understanding of like game mechanics and Excellent. crunchiness, but also the flavor side of stuff as well. And he's good fun to play RPGs with. So, you know, I did a game with him, some other friends as well. And yeah, I'd spent a long time sort of formulating this thing in my head before I started putting a lot of it down to paper. It's sort of something I've been thinking about on and off for like the past year, but it's only since just before lockdown and into lockdown that I finally was like sat down and said I'm gonna make this and you know put it out so there were some small tweaks but generally people really enjoyed it it ended up being a lot shorter than I anticipated I think but I think that worked in its favor in a way because it's quite a short punchy self-contained experience having played it but yeah actually one of the strangest things was going to playtest it for the first time and having had this thing exist in my head for a year I was more worried that I wouldn't enjoy it than that other people wouldn't enjoy it in a weird way. Because I guess I sort of knew what I wanted to get out of making it. And I think it's achieved that. But at the point that I was playtesting, I was like, had no clue whether it was going to kind of all the parts would move together in the ways I wanted them to. Playtesting, it's fascinating. And uh, yeah, well, I can say, yeah, I. You took back up to uh, my. I check is it was playtest number 17 now. Uh, at this point, it's not really playtest, it's demonstration for yeah, promotional yeah. purpose. You work on your first game, and uh, I was reading articles about playtesting. I was like, do I need to make a survey to ask questions to people? I think it really depends on the project, but in my case, I was just running the game. And so where it was running smoothly, where there were confusions, and uh, three of my best friends who played my game, Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventory. Gotta get that plug people. in there. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna plug. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the sessions which ran the least smoothly, but that's yes. one. Of, but that's the session from which I learned the most. That's the Definitely. session where, okay, I need to come up with scripts, prompts for people to read, for myself to read, to set the tone and get people in the direction of what is going on. While there are other sessions which went extremely well, people just got it beyond my dreams and took it and ran with it. But those ones didn't teach me anything about the game. They didn't, not really what, but they gave me the energy to move yes, on. Yes, yeah. It's, there's definitely, playtesting I feel like gives you two things. It gives you encouragement that you're onto something when people enjoy it. And it also gives you very clear guidelines as to the bits that aren't working so well because it's very easy in a tabletop game to notice when things have stopped running smoothly, I feel. Because the inevitable slowdown of rules happens and people rereading things and maybe there's resources that your game needs that you 
hadn't realized would be very useful before having run the first session. That's actually something I, I want to go back to Fall of Home at some point and do some form of, I guess, play sheet. It's not a character sheet because it's a shared thing, but something that you can fill out all the details with. But my skills as a graphic designer are sorely lacking, so I'm trying to improve those before I, I go and, and try and do a good run at that. So what's your ambition with uh, Fall of Home? Would you wish to have a print run, uh, show up um, uh, at the convention with it a would, few copies? Yeah, I definitely would like to get to the point where I can start producing physical copies because one of the most enjoyable things to me is just having something you can hold in your hands. Like, I'm a very haptic person. I like having that kind of physical feedback and physical objects. So getting to a point where I think I can justify that would be really cool. At the moment, I'm working on things, trying to get my name out there a bit because... It's a big community and there's lots and lots of small indie developers. And so trying to increase awareness of my stuff and hopefully people enjoy it. And also like just doing pitches for various anthologies, that kind of thing, starting to do more collaborative work with other people in the hobby. Because there's a drone now. There so is a drone. This is a very today. eventful park visit. By the end of this, we're going to be attacked by a swan. Uh, you, you joke, but we are right by a lake. <laughs> I wouldn't jinx I'm it. I'm barely joking. <laughs> For people who know me or don't know me, if I'm joking, there's always... Nothing is, is truly funny without being having a, this little bit of truth at, at its bottom. <laughs> yeah, so just sort of working on my stuff and trying to learn as much as I can, as fast as I can. So is there, behind that, the big K word, a, a Kickstarter? Kickstarter. Um, I was afraid for a second when I was saying K word, there would be a slur I would not be I aware of. I think there Let's is. not find out. No, so I, I know there is, because um, when the whole Karen thing erupted over Twitter, oh, yeah. people started calling that the K slur, and apparently there is a slur for Jewish people that begins with a K, and so calling the Karen the K slur was not the best. <laughs> I had never heard of the word in question until I was informed Like, it, it's not a widely known one, I think. That's a bit in But my game. There's a random encounter table where you can run the ca a Karen. I, I saw that, and that was what made me instantly fall in love, it, honestly. It's double-edged, because each time it's... So far, each time it was noticed by people, they took it very well, and it was like a very good prompt to tell them, okay, look, go crazy. The world is yeah, your oyster. Yeah. You can do absolutely whatever you want. But each time I, I start running the game with complete strangers, I'm like... Am I gonna make someone create some discomfort because it's too close to the news or they got views on that which are not my own? I mean, speaking personally, I think it's just a lot of fun. I know, you know, there's a lot of hot takes on Karen at the moment. I think we should let the viewership decide that for themselves. <laughs> viewership? Listenership. Listenership. This is an audio medium. <laughs> I call them D-Rollist. Derolists. It hasn't not really caught on, really. <laughs> But I call my audience derolists. They, no, they are it's derolists. It's a catchy name. I can't really. Sp yeah. Sometimes in convention, in very specific environments, people would say, "Oh, you are derolists," and I say, "No, you are." <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all deep down? But yeah. So. So I would, Oh yeah, I would probably like. To, I mean, I guess the whole thing comes to me having an idea that I think is big enough and good enough to justify doing a Kickstarter. I mean, it depends what you want to do with Kickstarter. I'm certainly guilty of that to some extent with what I have in mind for Paris Gondo, but it doesn't have to be a massive book with supplements and so on. It can yeah. be a somewhat modest, but totally justified 
Kickstarter to print, I don't know, 500, 1,000 copies of something black and white in a zine format. Yeah, I think the thing that's sort of been... I guess not scaring me away, but making me a bit hesitant so far is just the logistical side of stuff in terms of printing and editing and typesetting and all that kind of stuff that has to go in something when you're officially publishing it that I haven't had to deal with in my life so far. And so I want to sort of learn a bit about it. But then that's maybe where you want to Kickstarter because then you can afford yeah, exactly. a graphic designer. I think, um, editor. yeah. So oh, what's it called? Zine Quest? I found out the zine quest was a thing just too late to really try and and construct anything to submit for it. It's a yearly thing, right? Yeah, it's but it's a yearly thing, so I, I definitely think I'm going to try and put something out for that next time it rolls around. Um, because it's just a great excuse to do a, a short little thing that has you know nice art and nice production values. I kickstarted far too many things from Zine Quest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, no, I, I've got cold feet kickstarting anything because I had a couple not so great experience, oh. but uh, I, I really had to, yeah, to put a lid on that. And okay, I, no, I won't kickstart anything that I haven't played. So if someone wants me to support that Kickstarter, they need to have people or themselves run playtests of their game, yeah. and then after playing it, because running a game, I've realized I'm very bad at finding the energy to take a brand new game, read the rules, and then it's game master it. I need someone to run it for me, I play it, and then I will yeah. game master it poorly. Because <laughs> it will yeah, be based on my memories of somebody else running it for that's me. That's the thing, right? Like, learning a new system and running it for the first time, you run the risk of, if you do it badly, putting the group that you wanted to play it with off it. <laughs> um, definitely, that's something I've had experience with before. Honey Heist, which I just picked up as a, something to run in an off week of the D&D campaign I run for a group of friends. I really enjoyed the premise, but I think I turned it into too much of a heist game when really it's a game about being bears. <laughs> and I think people had fun, but it wasn't really necessarily in the spirit of what I needed to be running, and I don't think I realized that the first time round. I don't think Grant would mind. Oh, no, yeah. I, <laughs> I got it. A lot of bear puns in that game. I stand by what I did. I ran Jason Statham's Big Vacation. <laughs> That's the maximum amount of rules I can ingest on my own and then run. Uh, it was a, a lot of fun. When you look around you, what do you notice? What is the first thing that seems most obvious? Could it be that we are furry? Could it be that we are large? Could it be that you're not in your home but are in fact in ours? We all are bears. Main goal is not to hurt you, but we all are bears And that could be an issue Cause we're not known for being friendly Not known for being kind Known for making lunches out Those we meet outside We all are bears Each and every one around Lying in the grass A 
Lightbringers. Lightbringers, yes. Lightbringers is the other game I made for Attack and Dethrone God Jam. I don't know how many of the rollies are aware, but um, Attack and Dethrone God was a meme that sprung up on Twitter at some point during lockdown, I feel. I got my own gaming project called Attack and Dethrone God because it just sounds It's just so such good. a catchy title, right? It's like, it's just the most that anyone could do. Like, it's... If you're powerful enough to attack and dethrone God, you're powerful enough to do anything. It's got also this word. I was very lucky to be able to visit Japan. And when you go there, when you speak both French and English, you see a lot, you know, just like I'm pretty certain you see stuff in Spanish and uh, Japanese or Chinese. If you go to H&M, yes. they go, you, go, you buy a t-shirt and there's something absolutely n- <laughs> non- nonsensical, which you just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you go to Japan and you got this experience from the point of view of someone who actually knows their language and you read stuff. It's not that they, they're completely senseless, but they're just this a bit <laughs> off like that and attack and dethrone God. It's got this feel of uh, attack on Titan or yes, a yeah. few things it's like that. It's very JRPG. I think it was part of a list. So yeah, Fox News in response to the Black Lives Matter movement in the US. Fox News obviously being a quite right-wing media company, they were interviewing someone and in attempting to, I guess, discredit Black Lives Matter protesters, pulled up a manifesto of... Um, bullet points. <laughs> yeah, a bullet point lifted from like a manifesto of a like a, an underground radical group <laughs> from the 1960s. And oh, that... Okay, yeah, actually... The- it was from the Weather Underground, which is a 1916, 70s, yes. which I heard of recently through a podcast. And the worst example you could find if you want to discredit left-wing yeah. movements. So they listed all of these bullet points of things that the left <laughs> is trying to do, all of which are like things that I think most people would want. But then inexplicably, they added on the end, in all caps, attack and dethrone God, which... <laughs> Does not exist in the Weather Underground Manifesto as far oh, as doesn't. anyone... Because no, it doesn't. I can picture, you know, at the end it was pretty much a cult. I think it was technically a cult with a lot of drug abuse. I really recommend a podcast called Martyr Made. 
It's a difficult podcast to listen to, but his current series called God Socialist, which is about the Jim Jones cult and events. Yes. But the series is much more than that because it gives you all the context of the civil rights movement and the yeah. weather underground. And it's so fascinating. And Attack on Detroit God, I couldn't imagine someone lying on a concrete slab tripping and, and saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's like... They included that in this list of things that apparently Weather Underground said, and they never said that. But people ran with it because it's the latest in a long line of people trying to discredit people, generally right-wing people trying to discredit left-wing people, of discredit their arguments by <laughs> claiming they want to do all of these things. And all these things are A, so ridiculous and so clearly unachievable, and B, so like in order to achieve them as a result, would require the people in question to be so powerful, cool, and awesome <laughs> that really they are doing promotional work for them. And so it, the jam was sort of based around that, and I just sort of took that and ran with it. So it's a game about a group of rebels attacking God, using or encouraged to use the most ridiculous methods possible. For instance, one of the games I played, the party decided that a really effective way of undermining God would be to cut boob windows and slits in all of the Pope's vestments. So the Pope was an ego now. The E standing for ecclesiastical, apparently. I didn't make that up. The player who came up with the idea made that up. It's about kind of zany hijinks attacking an all-powerful entity, and it starts off with you being quite weak and so banding together, and then there's sort of a progression as you start to kind of get the upper hand. I totally misread the description on my way to here, because that's how uh, unprofessional I am. Which is normal. I'm not, well, I'm paid a bit thanks to the patron, but, uh, please go to patron. But, uh, yeah, I read the description and I thought it was more about uh, information control and you go to a protest and then the information is used against you uh, yeah, by reading so, the blurb. Or, so uh, the in response to the rebels attacking God with all of these methods, the God can basically nitpick elements of the rebels' personalities and say, Oh, don't listen to them because I'm trying to think of a good example now. My head's gone blank. Every character has a strength and a weakness, essentially, and God can pick one of the weaknesses of one of the plans and use that to kind of formulate a reason as to why, how they essentially prevent the attack from having oh, much effect. Wow. <laughs> like, PSYOP style. So the GM who plays God is encouraged to be as underhand and like comic book villainy as possible, just to sort of reinforce the tone. And it does end up with some fun mustache twirling moments, I think. I hear a lot of the word jam. I guess I get a vague idea of how it happens. Do you just work on your side and then you share your games or did you interact with other designers um, as part of this? So what's happening? In yeah. Jam? So largely it's someone coming up with an idea of like, this is the prompt, this, and this is sort of the brief in terms of the restrictions you can impose on yourself or the specific topic matter that you have to use as inspiration. And then, um, so at least on itch, they have like a whole functionality built in where people can create their own jams and they can essentially create like little forum boards oh, wow. with different posts underneath that. So for attack and defund God jam, there was like a prompt thread with people finding other similarly ridiculous statements from previous sort of similar incidents, that kind of thing. Uh, there was, that's a parrot. Sorry. There, there, that's a parrot. That's a, there is a lady with a parrot walking past us. That's like, folks. It's a parrot, but it's like, what you see on a picture when they're trying to explain to you what is a parrot. Yeah, that's like the parrot you see on Long John Silver's shoulder. Do we call that an ara or with red and blue? I, there's a specific name. Because like, 
It's obviously very different from the green parrots, which apparently just live around London, is something I found about recently. Yeah, they're the same in Brussels in different places. Either they fled and then... Yeah, they, they, they escaped multiplied. and then sort of formed a little community. Anything can happen here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the parrot will join us and um, give some opinions. Oh, what was it, Game Jam? So yeah, there was, there was a little thread of prompts. There was an introduction thing. I think definitely... There is room for there to be a lot of kind of community and interacting. I maybe didn't do that quite so much this time around, just because it was my first game jam and I was sort of finding my feet and kind of figuring out a lot of, I guess, things along the way of like it being the second game I'd published on itch and having done it in a much shorter time frame than anything I'd done previously meant that there was a lot of learning process in, in terms of just putting something out in that length of time. But I think definitely, especially with larger jams, there's room to have like a really big community about the prompt and people sharing their work and discussing each other's work, which I think is really a fun because it means you can get to discover all these, you know, small games that people have made. And often there's a lot of really good stuff in them. But it's also really helpful because you can see how someone else has approached the same brief as you and come at it differently. And you can learn things from that. And obviously they're playing your games and giving you feedback on that as well. I think for especially if you're just starting out, having i guess someone provide the idea for you and then you just working with that and trying to create something from that it really forces you to be creative in a way that i really enjoyed so what's the future like is it a new project or several other projects or is it working more on the fall of home i definitely like to go back and work on elements of lightbringers and fall of home lightbringers particularly i think having played it since the deadline there's some tweaks to mechanics i want to make that i think will improve the gameplay in terms of there's a bit of a disconnect between the tone of everyone banding together to fight an all-powerful enemy and and how it actually plays out with the mechanics nude projects as well i'm working on something for game jam at the moment which i'm really excited about it's just a very small i guess like correspondence poetry rpg is how i would pitch it It uses a bookmark and you've got a little hole in the bookmark and you can use that to select words in from the page of the book that you put the bookmark oh, in of what wow. you're reading. And then you send that to someone else who you're playing with and you basically take turns adding words to a poem that you create together. There's going to be some like sci-fi parallel world theming or something I, that I need to figure out. <laughs> But yeah, I've got a list of other kind of ideas for projects I've had. Which one of those I work on next or whether I choose something new remains to be seen and yeah i'm replying to people looking for pitches for other projects that they're working on as well so there's an anthology that is currently taking applications still i think deadlines in a few days but the premise is it's an anthology of adventures all based around one map so the brief there's a map by i can't remember the name there's this guy who publishes public access essentially dungeon maps online dyson or oh uh, yeah it's dyson yeah So it's one of their maps. Essentially, the lease you have as to how you use that map to create your adventure is very broad in that you can just write a standard dungeon crawl if you want. You could chop it up into bits and rearrange them and, or have a modular dungeon. Or you could take the rooms and the way they're connected and use that as a relationship map and do away with the concept of a physical space related to it entirely. And yeah, so I, I've submitted something to that. I don't want to support what it is in case it doesn't get chosen and then I can it's a good idea anyway and I can still use it but <laughs> well, you have till September so oh, that's true this won't be out till the end of September yeah so the idea I had was um are you aware of uh, these stereoscopic drawings where you've got like something drawn in red and something drawn in blue and they're slightly offset so that when you wear oh yeah 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 so I'm doing something where essentially there are two versions of a dungeon overlaid in the same space drawn using red and blue and there's sort of a dimension hopping mechanic So it's maybe not as much as stereoscopic as 
as a kid, I remember you, you would have this page and it was just covered with, uh, what do you call that? Um, oh, I know. Yeah. So like image, um, <sighs> I mean, it was just a scrambled image of like, yes. Like and a, you put red glasses on and it lets you see, see. Yeah. it's, it works in a similar way, but it, it's a slightly different execution. It's like, you know, the 3D, like the one's red and one's. Yeah, you can produce like 3D images with an effect based on that. It's like that, but essentially that's just a way I'm representing these two parallel versions of the dungeon that are overlaid. And there's going to be stuff to do with interacting with the same space across different dimensions. There's going to be an element of there's a book called The City in the City by China Mavel, which is about two cities that exist in the same physical space, but are separated by basically just people's perception, but also like distinct cultures between the two groups and there's a heavily enforced divide between these two cities and you can be arrested if you break this divide and it's a whole it's a very good book i recommend you read it but i'd like to kind of add elements of that in there as well because i think it's really interesting ground to add to conventional physical space like it adds a whole like layer on top of stuff i was saying a, a bit earlier that uh i'm an architect and a bird designer so all those questions i, I find very fascinating and uh, and the stereoscopic and playing with the different perception and space in parallels. I mean, even if you were taking this idea and making it something straight up dungeon crawling, but then you don't have a bridge, but when you look with the glasses, yeah. then there's a bridge. So you need to put on or remove the glasses yeah, depending it, on where you are and or what you do. You rediscover the place through a different point of view. I definitely also took some inspiration from, um, is it Metro Prime 2? With a dark world and a light world, and there's a few Zelda games that have similar yeah, mechanics as well. I played a game which was just like that, but there's probably several, but yeah, it's... been on PlayStation 2, but I don't remember what it was. There's definitely more examples of this than I'm thinking of, but another part of the anthology is that each adventure should ideally be setting neutral, and so I was trying to come up with a mechanic that you could sort of overlay on another system without affecting that system's mechanics too much, and so kind of will work, whatever. And I'd been staring at this map, I think, for about two or three days. <laughs> I can probably draw it from memory at this point, and I just yesterday hit upon this, and I was like, oh, well, that's what I'm doing. It just sort of came to me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, wow, that sounds like Yeah, I, we love to see it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm really looking forward to working on it. Honestly, even if, if I don't get chosen for that pitch, I might just do it anyway, because I'm excited to do that now. So, Do you have a title for that? No, I don't. I know I want the flavor beyond the sort of parallel dimension thing to be a library with like otherworldly custodians. I think I've been listening to a bit much Welcome to Night Vale, because it's definitely something that happens in Night Vale. But I really quite enjoy cosmic horror and that sort of stuff, so I wanted to add a kind of a note of that in there. It feels a bit like Stranger Things also, when you have the reflection of the, yes, the world. Yes, that's another one, the Upside Down. There's a lot of media with parallel worlds that I really enjoy. The Long Earth series by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter is excellent. It's essentially infinite parallel Earths that humans suddenly get access to as a result of kind of this, I guess, like watershed moment when people realize this is a thing and the kind of colonization of these alternate Earths. There's all sorts of like interesting hard sci-fi concepts thrown in and it's got for most of them Terry Pratchett's writing in there as well so they're hilarious I'd recommend people checking those out if they haven't
I can say like, one thing I really enjoy in narratives is when they're non-linear, starting at the end and then like skipping back. I think that's part of why I really enjoy heist movies. Heist movies as a genre, there's often like, oh, there's the flashbacks where they reveal a problem arises and then there's a flashback, oh, like to reveal how they, you know, planned this part of the heist and sidestepped it. It's a very small thing, but it changes the flow of the narrative in such a way that I just find them really compelling. I think I want to write a heisty type thing at some point. I've been playing a lot of Blades in the Dark. I, I've played it once. I've been playing through Dishonored lately. I've been trying to use Lockdown to work through some of my ridiculously large video game backlog. You know Modifus is doing a Dishonored <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard um, there's Dicebreaker doing a playthrough of it at the moment, I think, and I've been meaning to watch it, but I've really enjoyed Blades in the Dark when I played it. Yeah, me too. And I say that as someone who, before that, really disliked heist in role-playing games, because I, I thought it never went in a satisfying fashion. Yeah. Because it's always, you spend a lot of time planning and arguing about the plan. If it goes according to the plan, it's boring. If it doesn't go according to the plan, you, feel you wasted bad. your time. Yeah. I don't know, have you played Dusk City? No, I don't. Dusk City Outlaws? I can't remember who it was published by. A friend of mine, it was something he kickstarted at one point. A role-playing game. Yeah, I guess the premise of the setting is it's like Renaissance New York. It's like a massive city, but it's Renaissance period with fantasy elements. And there's a lot of like guilds type stuff going on. But it's essentially you have a class and a background and the interplay between those is kind of what you can use to plan stuff before the heist. And it sort of ends up with you fulfilling roles like the face or the cleaner or whatever. But there's essentially just a load of pre-written heists with specific ways in and out. And it's a really fun system. And I recommend checking it out. I feel like I'm saying that a lot. Uh (laughs) I will. I will. Time for the final question, especially I'm running out of battery, so I'm gonna, and it's gonna be a long episode. Yeah, uh, it is. So, my final question, it's an homage to another podcast called The Weekly Planet, Australian podcast. Ooh. And it's, what are you reading? What are you gonna read? Doesn't have to be a book, can be watching something, can be playing a video game, but it's, what are you consuming and enjoying right now? Okay. Uh, preferably one thing, not ten. <laughs> and second, what are you planning to try out uh, soon? Currently, I am reading Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. It is a fantasy novel. I guess the best way to describe it would be, whereas a lot of traditional kind of fantasy tropes are based in a lot of Western and, and Nordic folklore, it's a fantasy book where the world and setting is based on a lot of African and Jamaican folklore. Which I find really interesting, just because it's a whole, essentially, mythos and folklore that I have never really been exposed to living in the UK, especially growing up as I did in a very white area. And it's really compelling. Marlon James's writing style is very poetic, which makes it hard to stick with sometimes, just because it, it's quite abstract, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Other things I'm doing, I have been watching... The NBC Hannibal with my girlfriend, which I'm really oh, enjoying. I love that show. Yeah. Especially the first season. So uh, we're halfway through second season now. She's seen it already, and I'm just constantly losing my shit at Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, <laughs> he's simultaneously so charming, but also the worst. <laughs> so do you sometimes, when you introduce a game to someone, say, this is my design? <laughs> Literally, I've, apparently I'm good at like guessing plot twists in shows. So every time I do that, I just carry it like, this is my design. It's, uh, it shows really good. This is my design. What am I reading? I'm running playtest of my game. Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventoring. And you were in one of the sessions. So yes. what I'm going to cheat. What did you think of that experience? I really enjoyed it. 
I suspected you did, which is why I asked you on the show. Yeah, so um, for people who don't know how it works, you roll some dice and the dice generate essentially stats for items that you then get to make up. There is a weight value that you determine between... The encumbrance. Yeah, the encumbrance value. And I ended up rolling the max for both my items, which meant I had to generate extraordinarily heavy and or hard-to-carry items. And I found that really fun. Was it Hannah who created the Amethyst helmet? The geode of awesome... Yeah, so <laughs> I, my character, Skids, ended up keeping that one. What did I make? I made Oily Dan's Extreme Hair Gel. Oh, yeah, which doomed one of the characters. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad about that, but at the same time... I had really fun just getting deep into the fiction of creating the character of Oily Dan and his defunct hair gel company that went under in the 70s because he got done for tax evasion, clearly. And then the other one I made was essentially just a massive standing stone that ended up having essentially the blueprints for the universe encoded in the orientation of the iron molecules within it because um, Hannah's character was a cleric of like the god of creation, essentially. So I really enjoyed like taking the stats you're given and the class that the item is predisposed towards and sort of using the character backstory that the person playing that class has made and the values that you have for your item and just coming up with a fun magical item for a fancy game. It was a really good system and I love your little bits you did, the intros to each step. I'm always concerned because online you don't see the expression of the people so you don't know if the joke oh, comes I was, across. Well, I was grinning throughout the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the stimulating and invigorating life. Yes. And... It's just the right level of tongue-in-cheek for me, I think. I really enjoy, I guess, media that looks at other media and sort of on one hand kind of honors it by kind of sticking to it in some ways but also just goes completely off the wall in others. So it was really great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for running it. Well, thank you very much. Uh... I didn't ask you that about your own game, but uh, what I'm excited about... Well, it's going to be my... What am I going to read, but it's more what am I going to write. I'm very curious to arrive at the stage when I can hand the rules to someone else and see them run it without me uh, yeah, see, intervening. Did, so did you have that experience? With uh, not... I haven't seen anyone run... I, like, I, I'm fairly sure I, I have some friends who have run it, but I haven't been privy to their sessions. There's no streamers? No, or... no. Most of them... There's no special episode with Sam Regal running your <laughs> game? <laughs> I would love to see the or voice would Sam Regal would, <laughs> would, would do for his sad backstory sections for one of the characters in Fall of Home. I'd like to do some streams of it at some point. I'm planning on maybe doing some Fall of Home things online at some point that I need to organize... What if you need some help with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just... So I've been on furlough for most of lockdown. Recently been called back to work, so my time is a bit more limited now. But I'm sure I'll be able to get something coming in the following weeks. I joined the game without realizing that they were recorded. I played a lot with The Gauntlet. Yes. And I really recommend to join their games if you want to try anything. And to run your games there, yeah. run Paris Gondo was part of The Gauntlet. A lot of them are recorded and put on YouTube. So it's kind of a... It's not exactly a stream, it's not like an actual play, highly produced, but it's kind of a start of having something yeah. recorded and put out there. And I, I cannot wait, yesterday evening, maybe today, they're supposed to put online a game I played of Passion de la Passiones. I haven't heard of that. It's a PBTA game, you play characters of telenovela, so a soap opera. Okay, this already sounds great. And I never, <laughs> ever had as much fun playing a Powered by the Apocalypse game. I played a sinister French concierge in a South American hotel, and I this sounds excellent. Playing game, you're not supposed to win the game, but <laughs> but I won the game. Won the game, and I was so excited by this game <laughs> that I created a fake visual 
all the players that picked a picture for their character and uh, I created this visual with the sunset and so on. It's my shame. I don't think I've ever actually watched a telenovela. I should really do that. Well, I've never seen any myself, but uh, as I was explaining at the beginning of the game, I did watch, not with a lot of attention, but in the end, I still remember a lot of The Young and the Restless. It's one of these things which are probably not very known in the UK, but they are much more known in France, Germany, and Belgium, because that's what they show in the middle of okay. the day. It's a, I have to ask my flatmate when I get home. He's German. It's like Dallas. It's a way, way cheaper version uh, of Dallas. Okay. It's, a, it's a soap opera yeah, yeah, yeah. with a cosmetic company. and uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I could go on with stupid details. Uh, of that. I'm really worried that my battery ran out and erased our recording, so we're going to end there. Okay. What's your goodbye and uh, um, where can people find you? Yeah, I am Joe Winter at Wintermute on Twitter, W I N T E R Y M U T E. I put it in the description yes. of the episode. Wintermute.itch.io for my currently two games, soon to be more. And yeah, I guess just check out my stuff if you think it sounds interesting. Um, thank you for having me, Callum. It's been, this has been really fun. Well, it's been my pleasure. That's it for this episode. I don't know what's going to happen because that's the new normal. So I don't know what's going to be the normal. next episode at all. I finally ended my backlog. So that's a result of the lockdown. But thanks listeners for listening. See you next month. And in the meantime, have good games. This episode included We'll Save the World by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. We All Are Bears by Tiny Folk. Multidimension by Dread and of course Solta Ofrengo and of course our team song Solta Ofrengo by Bonded or Roll. Our logo is designed by Ronin Kun and you can find it on t-shirts, face masks and a number of other apparels and even notebooks and other things in our tea public store. You can support the show by telling about it to anyone you can, anywhere you can. If you do so online, on social media, make sure to tag me and uh, it will make me very happy. You can, of course, rate the show on iTunes, Podchaser or any podcast listening app of your choice. Or even better, you can leave a review, which I will read on the show. Speaking of which, we had one recently. Matt Boofman left the following on Podchaser. This is a podcast of record for the London tabletop RPG design and social scene. Vive les rollistes! Thank you very much, Matt. It's really encouraging to have any sort of feedback. Matt was on our microphone for episode with One Shot Network, and Matt's got his own podcast, which I recommend you check out, Merely Role Players. Another way to support the show is via your purchase on the drive through if you go check the description of this episode, you will find listed all the games we mentioned. And most of them, if you click on them, it will take you to drive through. Following that, if you purchase the game, it will support us at no additional cost to you with a little contribution from drive through to the show. And finally, of course, there is Patreon. Patreon, which will allow you with even a contribution as modest as $1 per month, will give you access to bonus content. And this month, turns out that the recording we made with Joe Winter was way too long than uh, what I usually fit in an episode. So you will be able to find an extended cut version of this episode without any music, just the interview, but it's more than an hour long, on Patreon, as well as recordings from Café Rollis, which I still need to release on the regular feed. 
and more stuff from our archives, which I recommend you go check out. I mentioned Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventorying, the game I am developing at the moment. If you would like to try this game, and you're listening to this not too late, I'm going to run three sessions soon. Two of them will be at Albacon on October 3rd and October 4th. And if you're interested in those, please spare no time before registering because I'm missing a few signups uh, at the moment. So I might end up having to cancel one of those two sessions. So if you want to join one of these, please go immediately in the description of this episode and you'll find a link to where you can sign up for them. And finally, there's a third session I will be running on October 5th at The Gauntlet. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Our next episode should be, we should record it this Wednesday with Lloyd Gann, who's been on the show as part of conventions on the Rollist already. We run a, a session of Nibiru for us in a UK Games Expo session. But more importantly, he's part of the Modifuse team, now he's part of the Chaosium team working on the Rivers of London. Lloyd is someone you would meet pretty much at any convention across the world, or at least that's how it felt. He's a big specialist of indie RPG, with his show Lloyd and James read indie RPG blurbs for you. He's also quite aware about all the online conventions which are happening, so we'll be discussing about all of that in our next episode. See you then, and in the meantime, have good games! Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e picotudo Na hora do piriri, cai em mim outra vesti Vai batuque! Rolê! 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 Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê! 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 This is my design. This is my design. This is my design. This is my design. I want him to know my design. <laughs>